Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, tuning back in for week two of Kings, Prophets, and Prostitutes. Last week, we talked about King David and uh, the fact that he was a man after God's own heart, but he was still a messy, broken human being, just like all of us, and how God still continues to use him uh, and the lessons that we learn from his life to uh, show us that, that we are still very usable people. And this week, we're talking about Abraham. Now, Abraham is a really interesting man because he wasn't only a prophet, but prophecy was actually fulfilled through his life as well. So we're going to look at, uh, similar to David, a story or two of, of Abraham's life and how he wasn't necessarily a perfect human being. There wasn't a perfect human being other than Jesus. And how uh, the mess that was David, the mess that was Abraham, still brought about the Messiah. So we're going to continue to talk about this, this idea that there's a mess that brought about the Messiah. So Abraham was considered a friend of God, um, but he was broken, and he's broken just like you and I. And, and like David, he did a lot of really incredible things, but he also did some really stupid things. And so we're going to look at two stories where Abraham and his wife Sarah both made some mistakes, but how those mistakes led to God's promises and how those mistakes still teach us lessons today. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And it says this, it says, The Lord had said to Abraham, who would later be named Abraham by God, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. So the first point that we just want to make is this is a promise received. God gave Abraham an incredible promise, and he received it with gladness. He would be crazy not to, right? That God said, like, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household. I'm going to give you so much. I'm going to give you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And I will bless people who are blessed by you. And I will bless other people who are blessed through you. And there's just this incredible promise that he lays out in front of Abraham. And so he would be insane not to say yes to it. So in the moment, Abraham had no problem accepting and following the promise of God. And I feel like the promise that God placed upon Abraham was a mountaintop experience, right? He was pumped. He was so excited for what God had just told him, what God was going to do through him. And and something that I relate it to, because I grew up in the church, and maybe you can relate to this too, is summer camp, where you you go and you spend a week with Jesus, and it's just Jesus and friends and fun, and it's just an unbelievable week, and you get fired up, and you you get set on fire, and you're so excited to go tell your friends about Jesus. You're so excited to grow in your relationship with Jesus that nothing is going to stop you. Like, you are so incredibly excited. And for me now, being 30 and being in the church, one of the things that I get to do is I get to go to these conferences where I get to le- listen to these world-renowned speakers, these these men and women who are just absolutely incredible. They have so much wisdom and knowledge and their leadership capability is just out of this world. And so I get to go to these conferences and I, I there's always this feeling that I have where I'm sitting in these conferences and, and I'm listening to these unbelievable people and I'm like, I'm going to go do this. 
Like, whatever, what they are telling me to go do, I'm going to go do this. No questions asked. Like, I'm so excited. And God's speaking through them into my life, and I'm so excited. The problem with both summer camp and conferences is that, is that at some point you have to go home, right? You have to figuratively and literally come down the mountain. And we we tend to run into things that we didn't expect to run into and everything doesn't just line out the way we wanted it to, to line out. And we have to, to run into some things and deal with some things. And a lot of the time we say, okay, what I wanted to do is no longer worth it because it seems harder than I originally thought it would be. You see, Abraham was no stranger to this either. He experiences this too. If we look in verses 10 through 13, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So the next point is this, a promise forgotten. See, Abraham came up against hard times. Physically, him and Sarah and their their family were coming up against a famine. That was something that they had to practically deal with. And relationally, the fear of the perception of others started to drive the narrative of Abraham's life. You see, he forgot the promise of God because of his current life position. He allowed the fear of life to to negate the promise of God. And I don't know about you, but I definitely have found myself in similar situations or I know that there is a promise that God has spoken into my life. There is an assurance that God has spoken over me. But fear of the perception of others or fear of my current life position gets in the way of that promise. I allow it to cloud my vision, and then I start to make very stupid mistakes. You see, the decisions that we make cannot be based in our fear of our current location. They need to be based in the promises of God. And maybe you don't feel like you have allowed that to affect you. Maybe you feel like everything's good and that that's never happened to you. Or maybe you you don't feel like God has promised anything to you, you so you don't really have anything to forget in the first place. What I want to do is just take a minute and remind you and remind myself too some promises that we too easily forget. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 2 says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who... He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. In my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That last one hit me really hard this last week as I'm looking at the political climate of our country, as I'm looking at the relational climate, the racial climate. There's just so many things going on where it's it's just so frustrating. And then I look at this verse and, and if I say, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my, my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them and I will forgive their sin. And this last part, I will heal their land. And oh, how I want that so badly, that our country would be healed, that people would meet Jesus, that the love of God would wash over our nation, that would wash over our world, and we would see this land healed. And sometimes it feels like an insurmountable thing. It feels like something that could never possibly happen. But if I believe the promises of God, I know that if I continually seek his face and I turn from my wicked ways, that God will hear my prayer and that through me and through the people in my life, he will start to heal our land. But this is one of the things that I think is really interesting about the promises of God. One of the challenges that we face as followers of Jesus is to not only receive the promises of God, but to remember them, to hold on to them. See, we hear it, and God speaks something to our life, and we say, Jesus, that is so good. Like, I want that. I love that. I'm so excited about that. And then a couple days later, a life situation presents itself, and then we completely forget the promise that God had spoken into our life. See, for a lot of us, it's not about hearing the promise. A lot of us can do that, but so many of us let it go, and we don't hold on to it. We don't live in it. We don't camp out in the promises of God, and we need to do that more often. And we find the promises of God littered throughout Scripture, They're everywhere that God promises and declares things over our lives, over the people of God, time and time and time again. But I think that this is a mistake that we make, and I know it's a mistake that I make on a regular basis, is that we have a tendency to read Scripture for our present when it might be intended for our future. Or it might be intended for our past, that there's something from our past that is continually eating at us. There's, there's a scar. There's, there's a mistake. There's something that we have done in our past. And we read scripture with this lens. We're like, God, speak to me because I'm in this situation right now. But maybe he's trying to speak to something that you haven't let go from back then. Or maybe he's preparing your heart and preparing your mind for something that is going to happen in the future. You see, the promises of God are always true. And sometimes they will be for the present but oftentimes they're also for our pasts and our future. And this is something that hit me as I was thinking through the promises of God this week and thinking through this story is that I think that I tend to look at the promises of God like a puddle, that it's something that that can dry up really fast if I don't quickly grab onto it, or that it's something that that I don't want to get too aggressive with because once you take that water out of that puddle, once you take the promises out of the puddle, then it's all dried up and it's it's gone. You see, the promises of God aren't a puddle. They're a well. And we need to be a people who keep coming back to the well. We need to be a people who posture ourselves in front of Jesus and say, God, if you need to tell me this a hundred times, Lord, would you please tell me a hundred and one? Jesus, would you continue to make promises in my life? And would you make the same promises? Would you remind me? Would I place myself in a, in a way in front of you, in front of your word, in prayer, whatever it is that I have to do to understand that the promise of God 
is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then his promises are too. So we need to make sure that we hold on to the promises of God, that we need to keep coming back to the well and be just covered with the promises that he continually wants to make over our lives. Verses 14 through 20 go on to say this. It says, When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, "'What have you done to me?' he said. "'Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go.' Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. I've read this passage so many times over the course of my walk with Jesus, and I think I get frustrated every single time that I, that I read it. But that's because where, where I see a snapshot of the story of Abraham, God sees the glory to be had in the largest of pictures. You see, God wasn't going to let Abraham's willingness to compromise negate the promise that he had issued. He wasn't going to let Abraham's humanity, his willingness to, to hand his wife over into a situation that she shouldn't be handed over into, stop the promise that God had said to Abraham before. He knew that, that so many people, that generations were going to come from Abraham and that, that Jesus himself was going to come from the genealogy of Abraham. So he wasn't going to let this mistake by Abraham negate that. You see, the Savior of the world would come from him. And he knew that when he made the promise. And he knew that when Abraham made stupid mistakes. It didn't change the fact that the promise was true. And, and God has made promises in your life. He has made promises in my life, and he made them for a reason when he spoke them into you. And he's speaking them over you now, even if you don't realize it. You say, oh, well, yeah, like me and God used to be really close, and there were these things that, that I felt God was speaking, and he wanted me to do, and he wanted me to be, but now I've kind of gone off track, and so now I don't think that those promises are true anymore. I think I lost those things, and I, I just want to encourage you today. God made that promise over you as a creation that he created. He was aware of your messiness. He was aware of your brokenness. So don't run away from the promises of God. Come back to the well, lean into him, and let God do something significant through you. There's a second story that I want to look at involving Abraham and Sarah. It's found in Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. It says, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham, Abraham, Abraham excuse me, had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived, and when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. This is 10 years later, a decade later, and Abraham and Sarah are still making poor decisions. Unfortunately for them, just like us, one mistake and one lesson learned doesn't lead to a perfect decision maker now. 
The next point that I want to make is this, is God's promises in the hands of impatient people. God's promises in the hands of impatient people. Sometimes we don't forget the promise. Instead, we just try to force it. You see, Sarah started to doubt the timing of God's promise and forced another woman upon her husband because of it. And Abraham was quick to get on board with that plan. He was like, what? Like, you're giving me a blessing to sleep with another woman? Like, sure. Like, high five. Let's, let's do this. You see, Sarah's impatience led to a mess. Like, do you ever find yourself impatient with God? I think, I think that we probably all have at one point or another. And what happens when we become impatient with the timing of God, impatient with the one who created time itself, we create messes. And messes that we have to spend valuable time cleaning up. Time that we could have spent pursuing the promises of God, pursuing the call in our life, but instead we have to spend time cleaning up the messes that we make because of our impatience. Now, there's lots of lessons to be learned from this, but I think that the one that stands out to me the most is this, is that there is value in being still. There is so much value in being still. Externally, I don't mean be lazy and stop doing. Like We, we have to do. We have to move. But what I do mean is that we have to be willing to stop and just be still before God. We have to take time in scripture and take time in worship and take time in intentional Jesus-centered relationship with the people around us. We have to prioritize that externally, physically place ourselves in locations where those things can happen. And internally, for many of us, we aren't too busy out here in our lives, out in the world. We're too busy in our minds. We can't hear the voice of God because we aren't willing to be still. We can't hear the voice of God because we aren't willing to listen for it. Patience is not something many of us would claim that we have. There's an incredible woman by the name of Lisa Turkhurst, and uh she uh, wrote a book recently, and my wife, Larissa, was, was walking me through some of the, the things that, that she had said. And she talked about this passage where Lisa starts to talk about an olive tree. You know, if you picked an olive off of a tree, it would be bitter to the taste. For an olive to become what we know it to be, there's a process that has to take place. There's a refinement that needs to happen for the olive to become the delicious thing that we love to eat. And you see, impatience leads to bitterness. So if we're impatient, we pick an olive off, it's bitter. If we're impatient and we try to pick off the promise of God before it's ready, we find bitterness and we find contempt and we find all these things. It's not what we wanted it to be. You see, we have to understand that patience is far from easy, but it is so incredibly worth it. For me, one of the, the times where I become really impatient was actually in my job here at the church. So I worked at Olive Garden for 10 years. And uh, at about year seven, I got an internship here at the church. And for three years, I was bivocational at both Olive Garden and part-time here at the church. And so I was putting in like 40 hours a week at Olive Garden, like 15 to 25 hours here at the church. And uh, 
I knew that God wanted me in ministry. I knew that, that he wanted me to, to be doing significant things, and I was still trying to figure out what exactly that looked like, but what I knew was that I was supposed to be talking to people about Jesus and loving people for Jesus and for the church, and there's just these things that God had promised me a long time ago that I was very, very confident in. And so what I ended up doing is I, I ended up coming to work, and, and I said, you know what, like, I'm kind of frustrated. I want a full-time job. I want to just be in the church. I want to be done with Olive Garden. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to show up. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to show up every single day, and I'm going to start proving how faithful I am. But it's not just about showing up. It's about believing that God will show up too. You see, there is a difference between being faithful and being faith-filled. I want you to hear that. There's a difference between being faithful and being faith-filled. Like I can show up daily with bitterness in my heart. Like people could be fooled and say, wow, like look how faithful he is. He never misses a day. And that's what I found myself in that situation. I found myself being faithful, which was good. Like showing up is good. It's the start of something. Like we have to show up if we're ever going to want to accomplish anything. But what I realized, I lacked faith that God knew what he was doing, that God had perfect timing. And now looking back on the situation, everything worked out exactly how it was supposed to work out. That when I stopped just being faithful and started actually being faith-filled in God, the promises that he spoke over my life started to come true. You see, that's that's what happens when we're faith-filled people. When we are people of great faith, not just people who show up, God starts to make the miraculous happen. The things that he's been speaking over your life for years and years start to come to fruition. And I think that that's something that, that maybe we find ourselves in quite, quite often, is that we say, if we just show up, if we just do, if we just check the boxes, if we just live that, that stereotypical Christian life, then all the promises of God will come true. And I think that there's an element of that that is, that is valuable, but I also think that that causes us, causes us to stop having big faith. That we would understand that no matter how he does it, God will do it. And the way he does it will be for our benefit. It will be for our good. So today, that's just my encouragement to you. Understand that God has spoken promises over your life. That the promises that he have aren't a puddle, but they're a well. Keep going back. Keep being covered in those promises. Read scripture. Spend time in prayer. And understand that showing up is great, but have big faith while you're doing it. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's edition of the College Age Movement podcast. We would love to have you here in person on Tuesday nights. We meet at 7 o'clock. It's an incredible family, an incredible community, and we want you to get plugged in, but we totally understand if you can't make it every week. And so that is why we do this podcast. We hope that it continues to bring fruit and knowledge and wisdom and that you get life out of it. And we hope to see you in person really soon.